an interesting text this morning. Every time I read that text, I get something a little bit different out of it. And every time I read that text, I realize that there are things that I've overlooked. You know, I probably read that text 50, 60 times before I even realized that it ends with conversion. Did you, did you realize that? That after all of that, we normally focus on the Stoic philosophers and Mars Hill, but in the end, God is at work. You see that? There were some who actually believed. Two of them were named, but it said that also others believed and followed Paul. Well, you think about the context and how strange this really was. The Apostle Paul was out doing his business. He was out there preaching to the Bereans, and people were coming to faith. However, there were always those who wanted to riot against the word of the Lord. We hear that there were some brothers from Thessalonica, that they were not happy with the preaching of Paul, that they had heard that people in Berea, that they were searching the scriptures, that they were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and they wanted to go and start a riot. And so, some of the good Berean brothers, they took the Apostle Paul and they shipped him off. So quickly that Timothy and Silas stayed behind, and there we find Paul in our text for today, standing at the entrance to Athens. What an amazing sight that must have been. Athens, the crossroads of the cultural world with the poets and the musicians and the scholars and the philosophers And Paul had a little time on his hands while he was waiting for Timothy and Silas. And so we can imagine that he walked through the streets. He saw all of the artisans and their fairs. He saw all of the goods being traded that came in from the various ports across the known world. But Paul saw something else, something that hit him right in his heart, that created zeal for the Lord. Paul saw that the city was full of false gods. Not only the statues that were made of brilliant stone, but the house gods that were for sale in the street, the little gods that were tucked away throughout the marketplace, and the Apostle Paul became enraged that so many gods could fill that town. And so he turned to the believing Jews and to the Greeks, and he began to reason with them about all of these false gods in the city in which they lived. And while he was passionately proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, there off on the side, you see a group of quiet men. They were the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers who loved nothing more than to sit all day and to talk about the latest idea that came in on the boat, the latest philosophy, the latest religion, the latest understanding of the creation of the world. And so they invited Paul. Now, some believe that Paul had to go and defend himself. Others believe that they simply were curious about this strange new doctrine that the Apostle Paul was proclaiming, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead. But regardless of the reason, we find Paul standing there on Mars Hill, surrounded by those who would listen, surrounded by the philosophers. And what does the Apostle Paul do? And this is the part that really floors me. The Apostle Paul begins with a story that they knew very, very well. Instead of beginning with a story from the Old Testament or talking about something from the time of Jesus' ministry or proclaiming how Jesus had appeared to him, instead, he began with a Greek philosopher. 
We see the quote in our text for today that we are all God's offspring. Do you know who that poet was speaking about? It wasn't about Yahweh. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about Zeus. Actually, the first 18 lines of Eratus's phenomenology that that book is written and dedicated to the god Zeus. The rest of the book is astronomy in poetry form. It was one of the most well-known pieces among the Stoic philosophers, for Eratus was one of their heroes. In fact, we are his offspring had become a personal motto of Eratus and his followers. So the Apostle Paul begins with a Greek philosophical pagan understanding. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he hinder the gospel in such a way by using these words about false gods and about a pantheon of those who rule, gods who live in the streets, gods who live in the earth? What was the apostle up to? And see, this is what I missed all of these times that I read it. I realized that the apostle Paul was a very, very savvy man. He knew how to speak to the Jews in the synagogue. He knew how to speak to the believing Greeks. And he even knew how to speak to the philosophers of that age. Now, if it was me, I probably would have taken a sledgehammer and started knocking down the idols and overturning the tables and condemning the people around me. But that's not what the apostle does. Listen to his words. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship as unknown today, I proclaim to you. That's genius. The Apostle Paul starts where the people are. He speaks in the language that they understand. He uses story and myth and narrative that they had heard for 300 years. And he begins to sing his own hymn. A beautiful hymn. Not of Zeus, but of Yahweh. He starts at the beginning. He talks about how God created the heavens and the earth. He talks about how God is the sustainer of life, the ruler of all, the Father. And finally, in his sermon, he says that this is the God. This is the God who sends his judge. And if you want to know who the judge is, he is the one who was resurrected from the dead. Now, he was probably doing okay until that part. The Stoic philosophers, they were moving right along. They believed that by that time that God was in them, was in the world, was in everything. We hear the Apostle Paul talking about how God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and has placed us in our various positions, how he lives in the marketplace, how he dwells with us each and every day, and then he brings his message home, proclaiming not some type of nebulous God, or some God that lives within the things of creation in the world, but an incarnate God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, and has promised new life in the world to come when he comes and restores all things. Paul moves from Zeus to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from an impersonal force to a resurrected son. 
He uses the creative parallels of the stories that they had known in order to bring them to the very feet of God himself. Now, for the people I like to hang out with, and you all know this, people of a postmodern condition, I think we can learn a lot about how we can speak to the world by listening to the way Paul spoke to the philosophers that day. He observed their ways, he acknowledged their openness, he started from where they were, he used a language that they could understand, he reframed, he re-narrated, he re-mythologized, if you will, their story of Zeus bringing into it the divine and absolute truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if that wasn't enough, he even used their own logic. Your poet has told you that you are offspring of God then how can it be that you make God with your own hands? If God has made you, there is no way that you can make God out of stone or gold or silver. And in the end, what was the result? Well, there were three things that were the result of Paul's cultural awareness and clear proclamation of a resurrected Christ. We read that the first group of people rejected what he said that they scoffed at him in many ways that people scoff at our Eastertide celebrations. A man would be resurrected from the dead, a God who would die. But then there was another group, and they simply reflected. They invited Paul back. We would like to hear more about what you have to say. And there, nestled at the end of the text, is the glory and power of God as we read that some received the message, some heard the gospel, even though Paul was using these stories that had been familiar to them about a God that had been carved in the face of a statue. That day, they believed in a God made of flesh, Jesus Christ, who would be resurrected from the dead and who would come to do the same for them. But the one thing that I missed until the last time I read this was this final point, and it is this. Even with Paul's cultural sensitivity, even with the cleverness of his speech, even with the eloquence of what he said, Paul could not have delivered the message that he delivered unless God was not known to him. You see, Paul began by telling them that he would narrate the story of an unknown God, bringing them face to face with the creator of all things. And it's because Paul knew who God was, not because he had seeked him out with intellect as the philosophers on the hill, but because God had made himself known, had revealed himself so that Paul had a new story to tell. You see, you're just like Paul. God is not unknown to you. You are known to God, and you know him. My encouragement for us today is that we might rejoice in the fact that God is not a stranger, and that we are not a stranger to him. And would call us all to reflect on the grace and the glory that comes through Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, and to remember the stories that we have been told, not of Zeus and a pantheon of gods, but of the creator of all, and of Jesus Christ, 
who has forgiven us our sins. Because there are many philosophers in the world today, and there are many people who will listen to the late stories. And the story that you have of Jesus Christ is the story that they still need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.